get the uh, privilege of introducing our speaker today. Uh, he spent last 30 years at Emmaus, right? 30 years uh, teaching. He was a professor at Emmaus Bible College, uh, where I went and graduated. He was my favorite professor at Emmaus. It's a true story. I, I liked him so much that uh, I asked uh, if I could marry his daughter. First time he told me no, uh, but second time he came around. So, uh, and that's also a true story. Um, so uh, this morning, uh, my father-in-law, who truthfully is one of my favorite teachers and was my favorite teacher at Emmaus, uh, he's a man that, that loves God's word. He's a man that loves God. He's, he's a man that loves his family, and he's been uh, an awesome example of what it is to do all those things and, and a man that uh, you know, I, I want to be like. So uh, we are privileged and honored to have uh, Keith Leverance here this morning. Come on up. Well, it's a, it's a privilege for me to be with you, a real honor, and I thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, communicate a little bit of God's truth with you. I was talking to Lou Clarkson before, and he was bragging about the fact that all the speakers here are under 30, and I said, well, we're going to blow that today. <laughs> That's been a long time ago, but anyway, I'm so delighted to see the young men and women involved in this, uh, in this work. And that's the future. That's where we're going. And uh, we just trust God that he's going to continue to bless this, this congregation. I'm excited about the possibility of, uh, of a permanent home for you. You've been packing your equipment and moving for a long, long time. And uh, this would be wonderful if God would, uh, would work these details out. I, I am confident that he's with you and that... Uh, there's many good things ahead for this congregation. So thank you for the opportunity to, to be with you and share. We better get started. I have 32 pages of notes this morning. I'm not kidding. True story, Kyle. But uh, we'll try and rip through them in a hurry. I, I told Rod that if I see him nodding off, that'll be my, my clue to shut things down. So I'll be watching closely for that. If you have a, a Bible with you this morning, I'd appreciate it. I, I have mine on my phone now. My sons have talked me into this. Uh, Colossians 3 is a great, great portion of Scripture, and I would like to read with you those first 17 verses, just as kind of the backdrop for what we want to be talking about today. My understanding is that uh, there's going to be a focus in, in these next several weeks on what's sometimes known as the spiritual disciplines. Those characteristics, those requirements, really, those things that we do in order to honor God, in order to elevate the status of Christianity, in order to bring glory to God. And so it'll be an important thing for, for all of us to, to take heed to these things and say uh, to ourselves, I, I, need to, I need to plug this in, I need to plug that in. Now, I'm not saying that you haven't. In fact, as, uh, as I've grown up, I've known the folks at uh, cornerstone for almost 60 years and uh, know that there are men of God and women of God who have led you and been an example for you. Um, so I'm not trying to say, well, I have something new for you today. More, this is, this is a word of encouragement, a word that would say, hey, let's, let's redouble our efforts. Let's, let's even work harder at in fact, this situation, studying the scriptures and spending time in prayer and, and all the other disciplines that you'll be discussing. 
Why? Because it's good for us and it brings glory to Jesus and it makes the world a better place. You think of all the things that are being tried to make this world a better place. Let me tell you, these spiritual uh, disciplines are are the very things that the world desperately needs. And so... uh, Excited the fact that you're, you're taking a look at these things and uh, just want to give a word of encouragement. Let's, let's press on. Let's move ahead. Study the scriptures. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, will, you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self with its practices. I'm sorry, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Holy Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you that you have left us this incredible uh, body of truth. I pray that as we study this morning that you'll challenge our hearts to be more and more diligent, to be those who follow the scriptures. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Study the scriptures, and we'd ask the question, what does scripture mean? Well, it's a name, as you see on the screen, given to the holy writings of any religious group. These are usually gathered into an authorized collection or canon to which final appeal and religious question is made. Different religions define the authority of their scriptures in a variety of ways, but devout members of most religious groups generally regard their scripture as in some way different and more sacred than other writings. Christians recognize the Jewish scriptures, that is the Torah, the prophets, and the writings as scripture, along with the four gospels, the 21 epistles, the book of Acts, and the Revelation. Christians call their book of scripture the Holy Bible. Now you can see from this definition that there are many uh, books that are referred to as scripture. When we talk about studying the scriptures, it's obvious, I think, as Christians, that the book we study is the Holy Bible. 
three key phrases that you'll find in that passage that I just read. One was an authorized collection or canon. The second phrase that I think is important is to which final appeal and religious question is made. And then the third phrase, devout members of most religious groups generally regard their scriptures as in some way different and more sacred than other writings. Now, we're going to go through all three of those. You can use that as kind of a checklist, and you'll know when I'm getting done when I get to that third one. Uh, it won't take as long as you may think. Let's look at the first one, an authorized collection or canon. And we already read that Christians recognize the Jewish scriptures, that is the Old Testament, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings of scripture, along with the four gospels. The New Testament, the 21 epistles, the book of Acts, and the Revelation. And the question that comes to my mind is, who authorized this holy Bible? Who said it was authoritative? Well, the exciting thing is that the Lord Jesus himself authorized our Bible. Jesus himself said, this is the book. This is the one to study. This is the one to listen to. This is the one to uphold and, and, and to follow uh, when you need a final appeal as to what's right, what's wrong, what's best, what's not. Jesus said, search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. He also said in John 17, Sanctify them by the truth. That is, set them apart. Make them a unique group of people by the truth. And then he says this phrase that is so important for us. He said, thy word is truth. We live in a culture that is desperately seeking for truth. The culture that says every person can decide for themselves what truth is. But Jesus said, no, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he stamps his approval on the Holy Scriptures by saying, thy word is truth. Who authorized the Bible? The apostles. Paul writes, I this is in 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul said, I'm going to go to the Scriptures for my authority. I'm going to find in the Scriptures the answer to eternal life, and it's the fact that Jesus Christ, God himself became man, moved to this earth, how that was accomplished should just boggle our minds. How does God shrink into one of us? But he did. And then how does he take the sin of the world upon himself, offer himself as a blood sacrifice, shed his own blood on the cross of Calvary? Paul says, according to the scriptures, this is what brought us eternal life. This is our hope. We read in Colossians, you have died. What an awesome concept. What a scary concept. You see, the wages of sin is what? Say it again. The wages of sin is death. If there's a person here who hasn't sinned, then you're okay. 
But those of you like me who have a few sins on your past, you face death. And Jesus came, walked this earth perfectly, never once sinning to show us that it can be done in the power of God's Holy Spirit. But then to go to the cross and say, I will, as a perfect, spotless sacrifice, take Keith Leverance's sins on myself, and I will die in his place. And now Paul can say to me, Leverance, you have died. Oh, I'm still here. You can still pinch me and I'll feel it. Yeah, but you have died in Christ. The sin was paid for. You now have eternal life. And it's available to all who will put their trust in that, that wonderful work, who will say, you know, I'm not going to try and earn it. I'm not going to try and, and, and pay for it in any way, shape, or form. I'm just going to believe that Jesus in going to the cross, taking my sin, completely paid the debt. And by putting my faith in that work of Christ, I understand that God grants me forgiveness for my sins and eternal life. And that is all in accordance with the Scriptures. Who authorized the Holy Bible? The Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God. That breath of God, that inspiration is the spirit of God communicating God's truth to human writers. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So we have a well-authenticated authority system in place as far as the scriptures that we use. But you ask yourself, now, um, we're using the Bible, and we go to the Bible and we quote the Bible uh, to make statements about truth, and we use the Bible to tell us about Jesus, and, and Jesus says the truth, and after a while you kind of think, oh, we must need some outside source here to, to authenticate it. Isn't this called circular reasoning? Yes, it is. But there's something that's so cool, so unique about this reasoning. Let me try and explain it. The words of the Holy Bible have what, and this is, uh, you know, this big, these big words bother me, but I'll use them anyway. Uh, the words of the Holy Bible have prophetic validity. Prophetic validity. Meaning that fulfilled words of prophecy support the truth of the rest of the Bible. When Paul writes all Scripture, sorry, that click to add title shouldn't be there. That was... Okay, never mind. When Paul writes all Scripture, he's including those prophecies from the Old Testament. And the, and the fact is, if there was an error or a falsehood in those prophecies, we could dismiss them. We could say, ah, unimportant. But there is no error found to date. Mathematical probability supports the validity. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but I, I, like, to, I like to see these numbers kind of come together. We'll talk about it in a minute. But most importantly, 
Jesus Christ staked his reputation on the validity of Holy Scripture. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And then he said, your word is truth. He made a connection between himself and the word of God. And so if the word of God has flaw to it, if the word of God is not authoritative, then Jesus is not authoritative. Jesus' very reputation is at stake. Even so, it requires faith. There's that step that every person has to take in order to make the scriptures the meaningful aspect of their lives that God wants them to be, and it's that step of faith. Here's the exciting thing. It's not blind, uneducated, uh, meaningless faith. It's been firmly attested. It's completely supported faith. And so I want to talk for a minute about that mathematical probability. This is just kind of fun. This, this has no um, uh, deep spiritual significance, but it's really kind of cool if you think about it. Look at the next slide where it says that there are over 324 prophecies in Scripture that are fulfilled about the Messiah. One person, one person fulfilling all of those 324 statements recorded, some of them 1,000, some of them 900, some of them 500 years before he even walked this earth. Statements made about the Messiah, the one that the Jews said is coming. And when Jesus came, he stood and read Holy Scripture and he said, today, today you get to see these things come to life in your very presence. I'm the one that these prophecies are all about. Josh McDowell says, the probability of all these things being perfectly fulfilled in one man from whom uh, all have walked, uh, one man from all who have walked this earth goes beyond understanding. In other words, even mathematically, we can't begin to, to put it all together. He says this, that any 48 of those prophecies would have a probability of 1 in 10 to the power of 157. Well, big deal, what does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about it, okay? Take a 1, put 157 zeros behind it, put a dollar sign in front of it, and we're in pretty good shape, Okay? All right. In fact, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Let's quickly go through this. Um, first off, take a penny, one penny, and you'll notice I put a little blue dot on that penny. That's the one we're looking for. All right? That's our penny. One cent. Multiply that times 10, and we get what? A dime. Got that? Multiply the dime by 10, top power of 2, we get a dollar. We're up to a dollar now. Okay. That's 10 to the power of 2. Uh, 10 to the power of 3, $10. Keep going. 10 uh, to the power of 4 is $100. To the power of 5 is $1,000. 10,000 would be power of 6. 100,000, power of 7. Now we're going to start multiplying not by tens, but by thousands, okay? Um, and so, I'm sorry, 1 million, 100,000 times 10 is 1 million. And then times a thousand is one billion, times another thousand is a trillion. We're up to ten times the power of 14. Okay, just, just for the mathematical sake of it, all right? We're talking big bucks here, people. That little penny suddenly grew significantly. 
just by adding zeros, all right? Keep it in mind. Let's go one more, one more. One quadrillion is 10 to the power of 17. You wouldn't even have to buy lottery tickets. One quadrillion dollars we're talking here, folks. That's impossible, isn't it? In fact, there's not that many pennies in the whole world. But there they are all in a big pile, and, and the chances of our pulling that one penny that we started with the, with the little blue dot, that, that's what we're talking about here. Just ridiculously impossible, unless, unless he is the one who he claimed to be. He is the one who adequately fulfilled all those prophecies. He is the one that the scriptures spoke about and said he's coming. And no wonder he can say, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Add to that this marvelous fact that after he was crucified, after he hung on that cross and shed his blood, he died, they placed his body in the ground, and three days later, he rose from the dead. There's no other religious leader in the world that can make that claim. Where is the Muslim prophet, Muhammad, today? Bones are still in the ground. Where's our prophet? Seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you, telling God that he loves you, that he died for you, that you're okay. And God says, well, if it's okay with you, Jesus, it's okay with me. And God the Father wraps you into his marvelous love. He makes you his own child. He gives you the promise of eternal life, an inheritance that won't quit. You don't need dollars, folks. You need the Lord Jesus. And he's available to us today by faith. So when he speaks, we understand that he is the truth. He is the word of truth. John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the word. You know that passage? The Word was with God, the Word was God, and then in verse 14 it says, and the Word became what? It became flesh. It became one of us. And he went to the cross to die for my sins. He's left us his written Word, the Holy Bible. It is our authority. And so we've come full circle. Yes, we have done circular reasoning. But all around that circle our facts, our substantiated, uh, fulfilled prophecies. And you can place your faith in the authority of Holy Scripture because it is the Word of God. What should we do? How do we respond to this authoritative source? And folks, this is where it gets a little uncomfortable. Okay, this is where it starts to pinch a little bit. So please don't think that I'm up here saying, now folks, if you were just like me, you'd do all of this. No, what I'm saying is I need this message. I need the truth of what we're talking about this morning as much as you do. And so together we need to work on these things. In Acts 17, it talks about a group of people known as the Bereans. And it says they were more noble than others because they examined the scriptures every day. What does noble mean? Webster says it means possessing 
outstanding qualities. You know, when you go to the store to buy peaches, you want one with outstanding qualities, don't you? You don't want it all brown and soft and kind of smelly. No, no, no. You want one with outstanding qualities. Well, the Bereans were that way. And I hear God saying to my heart, Liv, you know what I want? I want you to be a man of outstanding quality. How am I going to get there? Examine the scriptures on a daily basis. Examine them. Yes, you have to read them. You have to memorize them. Are we memorizing? We have to study what individual words and ideas and portions mean. We have to know them, but there's more. We'll get there. Timothy says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. <clears throat> there's a tendency to make this statement. I'm going to leave all of that to the scholars. I'll let them handle all that deep study stuff, right? Oh, please, please, please don't say that. Don't go there, okay? I, I just retired uh, from Emmaus Bible College working with some guys who are very scholarly. And you know what? They're wonderful guys, but they put their pants on the same way I do. Isn't that strange? They have the same flaws in their life as I do. And the reason they study the scriptures is because they need it so desperately. Please don't just leave it to them. We may want to go to them occasionally and say, hey, what, what does this mean? I'm having a trouble understanding this, or this one doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't seem to line up, and the scripture is tough enough to give us those, those uh, issues once in a while. But we go to them and we say, can you help me a little bit? But mainly we go to the book itself and we ask the, the, the Holy Spirit of God, who actually is alive within us, to give us abilities to understand the Word of God, to interpret it accurately, to, to divide it very carefully. And as we do that, He provides us with a deepening in our understanding, a deepening in our appreciation. Jesus Christ is honored. The list goes on and on. It is a valuable, important thing for you to study the Scriptures. Peter says this, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. King James says the sincere milk of the Word. I like that translation. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Growth for the Christian, is mandatory. Growth is expected. Growth is the natural process for a new Christian. We must grow. A farmer doesn't put seeds in the ground, spend all that money, time, and effort, and say, well, there, I've done my task, that's it for another year. What does he expect? He expects that seed to sprout and to develop and to grow and to produce fruit. Otherwise, he wouldn't bother. God has given us that seed of life and expects every one of us to grow. If I don't, I become what the Scripture calls a stunted Christian. A stunted Christian. There are some pictures of some stunted 
growth. You see a normal plant on one side. You see a stunted plant on the other. And, and that's not a good thing. We, we all accept that. No, something's wrong with that one. Look at that little hand. Malnourished. Not able to grow. Why? Wasn't getting the food it needed. And our hearts ache when we see that kind of thing. There's a little girl with the shadow showing a normal growth development for her. And she doesn't measure up. What parent wouldn't do everything they could to ensure that their child would grow? Well, I know there are some out there. But good parents want their children to grow. They expect their children to grow. It's normal for their children to grow. Is it any different for God the Father to expect growth in your life? And the only way we're going to grow is by taking heed to the Holy Scripture. There's more, but I'll get to that in a minute. <clears throat> I had a terribly embarrassing situation several years ago, one that I'll never forget. A family came into our local church. I stood at the door and I greeted them. And the little girl was about two years old and I pinched her cheek. You know how you're supposed to do with little kids. And, oh, good to get you. So good to see you. And dad was carrying a little basket, you know, those car basket things, and Dad was carrying that, and I said, and is this your little bra? And I looked in, and here was the face and head of a four- or five-year-old child and the body of an infant. I felt terrible. I called to the folks' attention something that they had been hurt with many, many times. I didn't know any better. It was an honest mistake, and I'm sure they've forgiven me. But it was so wrong. It was so inappropriate for that child to not grow. Am I making my point? Okay, I'll, I'll stop. I'll get off this. But if you're not growing, something is terribly wrong. Colossians 3.16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What have we been doing here this morning? Fulfilling the word of God. It's important for us to be in a place like this occasionally, regularly, in order for us to grow. It's part of the pattern. It's a good thing for me to stand up here and, and yell at you. To teach. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. But don't think that I have all the answers. No, the scripture says very clearly that you are to teach me as well. And I need to learn from you. And together, we help with that growth, growth process. <clears throat> to dwell, to live as a resident. Does the Word of God just live in your life just like, like a part of the family? Let the Word dwell in you. To keep the attention directed. I'm going to dwell on this subject. I'm going to focus on this subject. Not a 30-second, oh, there's my Bible, but to, uh, some attention to it. We desperately need that. We feed ourselves regularly. With natural food, we need to do the same with Holy Scripture. It's a discipline. 
Discipline never is very exciting, is it? Discipline means hard work. Discipline means that there's going to be effort put out. But we need to study the Scripture as a discipline of righteous living. Read and pray. All my life, all your life, you've heard that the key to spiritual growth is to read and to pray. In fact, we have a song. I won't sing it for you. I'll spare you. But it has to do with being fishers of men. You remember that one? Do we still sing that one? Please add that to the Sunday school agenda. Okay. I will make you fishers of men. The second verse says, read your Bible, pray every day, and what? You will grow. grow. No. Unfortunately, that's not accurate. I'm sorry. See, there's that one other little word that has to be in there. Because just reading the word of God is not going to cut it. What else has to be attached to it? Read your Bible, pray, and obey, and you will grow, grow, grow. Obey, what do you mean? Do what the book says. Apply the principles that are there. It's the essence of life. It's what life is really all about. That's where growth will come from. That's the idea of taking the authoritative word of God and incorporating it into my very life, my very breath, my thinking, and every aspect of who I am. Well, that was phrase one. Are you excited? We're on phrase two. To which final appeal and religious question is made. Let's take a look at that. Do we go to the Bible for our final appeal? Are the opinions of others of more weight than the Word of God? Our culture has very cleverly, very cleverly eliminated the validity of the Bible. Would you agree with that? You name a subject, and our culture has a different opinion than what the Word of God has to say. And if you bring up the Word of God, you know what? You're stupid. You're old-fashioned. You're a no-brainer. But a hundred years from now, when you and I stand before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and have to answer for our response to His Holy Word, is it going to be old-fashioned? No. No. The Word of God will stand. And it will be used in evaluating the spiritual condition of every human being. And the word of, on the authority of the Word of God, those that have placed their trust and confidence in the finished work of Jesus, His shed blood, will be stamped with approval and he'll say to the rest, depart, I never knew you. It is the authoritative word of God. If the Bible is our final authority, then why, so, why do so many of us ignore it? Or, or, or pretend it doesn't exist? And, and this hurts, I know. Let's go quickly back to Colossians 3. We read, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. What are the things that are on earth? He lists them. 
sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Go on. By the way, <laughs> when I was putting these slides together last night, uh, the train has absolutely no bearing on anything. But Cade said, I want a train. So you got your train. Anyway, okay. Uh, where were we? Oh, yeah. Put off some of those things. Anger, malice, hatred. Those things are, are of the flesh. Those things are of our past life. Instead, put on, put on compassionate hearts. What's a compassionate heart? A compassionate heart is sympathetically generous. Huh? You like that? A heart of compassion that reaches out to someone with sympathy and says, I want to be generous to that person. That's what we put on. How's that sound? Mm, pretty good. All right, keep going. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Those are the things that are above. Bearing with one another. Forgiving each other. Next slide. Above all these, put on love. Put on love. And that's Ava's heart there, by the way. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts and be thankful. Be thankful. Our society is so entitlement-oriented. We think we have earned, we think we deserve so much. Every breath that we take is a gift from God, isn't it? We have no guarantees, and we need to be thankful people. Those are the things that we are to put on. Next one, let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing, whatever you do in word or deed, in the, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Three key phrases. And finally, we're at the last one. Devout members of most religious groups generally regard their scriptures as in some way different and more sacred than other writings. Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Brothers and sisters, friends, there is no other book like the Holy Bible. It is the Word of God. Let it rule our lives. Let it be our final authority. Let it be the guide that we need to discern right from wrong, good from bad, better from best, and so on. Let it dwell richly in us. Father, we pray that you'll make us people who are students and believers and responders to your holy word. We pray this in Jesus' name.